My name is Anthony James, and I love the German Netflix show Dark. I love it so much that I started a YouTube channel to talk about it. From the start, I've been told that the Dark Train won't last forever, and if I want to continue to grow on YouTube, I need to move on. Well, you know what? I don't want to move on. This show is worth more. It's worth more theories, more analysis, deconstruction, and discussion. So if you're not ready to move on either, then you're in the right place, right here on Dark Discussions. Hello, and welcome to Dark Discussions. I'm your host, Origin Anthony James. Thanks for joining me. Well, this week, we're going to be looking at everyone's little favorite devil, Ulrich Nielsen. Now, Ulrich Nielsen is an interesting character. There's not much of him being happy in the show, let's just say that. I'm going to have some controversial opinions in this episode, guys. Hopefully, a lot of you share those controversial opinions with me. Maybe some people will have controversial opinions that combat my controversial opinions. Listen, we're all here for it. Ulrich is one of the characters who I think divides the fandom. He is a character who some people think, yeah, he was right to do what he did. And other people think, come on, if you beat a child to death with a rock, it doesn't matter the context, that's pretty bad. Oh, I think everyone agrees that, but you know what I mean. So we're going to get into that in the final segment today. Before we do that, I'm going to remind you to head on over to at hey Anthony James on Twitter, where you can vote on this poll. So the poll for next week has parallels to Westworld still still hanging in there. Um, there is big, big parallels to Westworld. Uh, we're also going to be ranking season one characters. I wanted to split it out. I don't want to do all three seasons. I want to do season one, season two, season three, because the characters do evolve so much. And then maybe eventually I'll do an overall as well, but I, I, with the top or whatever. But I'd like to rank the characters in terms of my opinion, in terms of the strength of the character. It's not going to be... Actually, yes, it will be. It'll come into what I like, what I don't like, and so, as well. You know, this every character is so strong in this show. It can't really come down to the writing quality. They'll all be a star um, or a plus. But uh, it'll come down to my own opinion, and then you can join me in the comments and let me know your opinion as well. And then lastly, 80s talk with Conrad. Conrad from the After Dark podcast loves the 80s. He loves the 80s influence on the show. I'd love to talk about it with him. All right, guys. Apart from that, we are going to get into. Ulrich. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on audio apps if you haven't already. Uh, it comes out every single week on Tuesday. If you want to subscribe to it on YouTube as well, that would be subscribe to the channel on YouTube. That would be great. Uh, much appreciated if you've already done that. Uh, every single Tuesday, as I say, we'll get it out to you. Right, so Ulrich. What do I have to say about Ulrich first of all? Well, it's only going to be a short little first segment here before I head into your questions and then finally the final segment about him. But my first little thing I want to talk about Ulrich first is his Icarus-like nature. Icarus flew too close, close to the sun, and he got his wings burnt. Okay, so the idea is in a TV show, if you, if you refer to someone as an Icarus, they forget their hang-ups and they just sort of go all out for something. And sometimes they get too close to the sun. And Ulrich definitely is an Icarus-type figure. Okay, so Ulrich is really, really flying far too close to the sun, almost feeling like he he can change anything. In the first season, when Ulrich is going through. Um, the time he's, he's going through the case, he's trying to figure it out. He finally realizes that time travel is involved, and instead of waiting, telling his his colleagues, telling his boss Charlotte, and really sort of figuring it out logically, he's like Icarus. He's 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 he's, he's he wants to go higher. He wants to go higher. So he goes down. He follows Helga through the tunnel. He goes all the way through, uh, and then he eventually has a decision to make: Do I kill young Helga or do I not? And he wouldn't have been in that position 
to make that decision, which to be honest with you, completely killed his character off. Um, he wouldn't have been in that position if he wasn't acting like an Icarus, if he, if he wasn't flying too close to the sun. He just, he had no hubris in those moments. He thought that he could solve this. He thought that he could fix the world. And to be honest with you, there's so many characters. There's so many characters that feel that way in the uh, in this show. Like Claudia tries to save Egon. Um, Adam, at the end, when he tries to burn, uh, to get rid of uh, the origin within Alt-Marta, but there was a backup one, you know, a little backup Alt-Marta. We've all got those. But uh, that, like, every, there's a lot of characters which which think they can change everything. And they think that they're the ones who are going to actually succeed in that. The difference is, is that Ulrich, he actually, I would say he suffers the most of any character for flying too close to the sun. I mean, sure, Claudia does suffer too. Don't get me wrong. Claudia does suffer too when she flies too close to the sun in terms of, you know, trying to stop Egon from dying and then she eventually causes his death. Yes, she does. Having said that, Ulrich suffers more, in my opinion, because let's face it, even if he didn't suffer at all, at the end of the day, at the end of the show, he doesn't exist anymore. So at least Claudia exists in the origin world. So there are a number of uh, examples of the Icarus in this show. If you have any other examples of the Icarus in this show, let me know, know below. But Ulrich is the best one I can I can uh, imagine. Now, I will just share something from the After Dark podcast, which many of you listeners know, you uh, listen to the After Dark podcast too, but there was an absolute fantastic piece of analysis done by my friend Conrad on that. And he was talking about the idea, that he predicted that Ulrich was going to die after episode seven of episode one, when he's on the phone to Charlotte and he's leaving the message saying, it's all about time travel, uh, it's Mads Nielsen, blah, 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 and he, then he followed Helga through the tunnel. Now, now Conrad actually predicted that he was going to die because usually in a show, when a character gives up all the information uh, about what they're discovering or what they're looking into or investigating, what happens then is they actually give... Uh, that information sort of dies with them. Do you know what I mean? I'm recently watching, uh, I'm watching Berlo ba Babylon Berlin at the minute and there's a character in that, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's a character in that at the very beginning of season two, same thing happens. So they've, they've got the information, they could really crack the case and then they die. So Conrad predicted that he was going to die. Now we all know he didn't really die, but he went back to the 50s, smacked Helga over the head with a rock and got put in prison. So in terms of the storyline, he pretty much did die. And from that point... Ulrich in that incarnation, in that sort of middle age Ulrich from the original timeline, he didn't really do anything from then on. I mean, sure, like Hannah went and visited him in prison and then left him there, but he didn't really do anything from then on. He was kind of wiped off the board, if you want to use the chess analogy. He was, he was gone. So he may as well have died. So that was really astute by uh, my friend Conrad there. So I really enjoyed that. Um, obviously, that he does stuff when he's older, but in terms of the, the storyline at that moment, he is wiped off the board, and that was, to be honest with you, brilliant. Um, so if there's any other characters who you think could be an Icarus in the show, let me know below. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Why don't you make a comment and join the conversation? As you know, guys, leave questions below or leave comments below. Just add to the discussion, and then I could feature your comment in the video and have a good old chat about it. All right, so I've got a few questions, uh, comments for you today. The first one comes from Vic Disco. And uh, Vic says, a fascinating discussion, Anthony, especially the idea of determinism, uh, which Einstein firmly believed in. In regards to Lost, um, so the determinism was me talking about Lost 
and the idea of time being deterministic. So there's no chance that uh, like there's no free will. Basically, that's that's what I was talking about. And I'm, I I believe that most of dark is that way. Um, it's pretty obvious. I think most of us think that most of it's that way. But I think even like the images in the tunnels was at the very end also pointed to the whole thing being predetermined to happen. Um, so in regards to Lost, I think obviously the main reason why it failed was the writers didn't have the end, an end game, whereas Bodor and Freeze had a plan to finish their story within a certain amount of time. Perhaps the producers at Netflix in Germany gave them a lot of creative control, while the writers of Lost, of Lost may have had to keep up with the show, keep the show going because the profits being generated. A victim, of its own, a victim of its own popularity. Well, yeah, Vic, that is true. And I've actually, um, I have listened to interviews with Baron Bodor and Yotrefis before where they talk about how much freedom they were given by Netflix and that that was the best professional working relationship they've ever had with other producers. And uh, which was really, really great to hear, um, which is really interesting because it seems like Netflix give a lot of rope to their shows. Unfortunately, the rope, they give them all that rope and then the show's, you know, go crazy and do really cool stuff like the OA, for example, then they just cancel them. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword, uh, the, the producers not stepping in and, and sort of... I'd prefer, I, I would prefer to have two seasons of the OA and then cancelled than have five seasons of the OA that was really micromanaged and completely different because they wanted to be more commercial. So it is a double-edged sword. Um, and Lost was a victim of its own popularity. You're right. They wanted to end it after three seasons. They, uh, Carlton Cuse and uh, Damon Lindelof were told no. Uh, so they had to keep it going. So all of those mysteries that they were setting up were going to be solved by the end of season three because they wanted to end the show by the end of season three. But no, they had to string it out. Now, keeping the mysteries going that long, I think that was still a mistake, to be honest with you. Um, and you mentioned there, uh, Baron Bodor and George Fries had a plan to end it after three seasons. They were always going to end it after three seasons. They did change what they were doing after season one. Okay, they've literally said that out of their own mouth. Some people do, still don't want to be, uh, believe that, but it's true. They uh, they changed what they were doing after season one. George Fries' own words were, and I know you, Vic, you're not saying that. Of course, you're not saying that. But but uh, some people were saying, no, sorry, George Fries' own words were that after they finished season one and between season one and two. They looked at what their plan was for the following two seasons, and they, their own words, we were already bored by it. So they completely changed what they did. So that were, they're her own words. So, you know, take that to the bank. They changed what they were doing. And I, find, I think it's really interesting to think about that because I, I would love to do an episode of Dark Discussions, but I would need you guys to help me formulate this episode because we need to sort of do it as a community. I'd love to do an episode where we talk about the things from season one which don't fit the storyline as it currently is now that we have three seasons, but a remnants of that possible, a remnants of that old storyline that they had going. Okay, so that's something that I would really like to do. That's something that I would really, really like to do. Um, next question. Archmaster Rennie says, unlike you, Anthony, I didn't watch Lost Live. I watched it years after it finished, so I already knew everybody hated the ending, so I was not disappointed by the ending. Unlike Battlestar Galactica, uh, which I watched live and completely loved right up to the last 10 minutes of the last episode, which I just hated. Haven't seen the whole of Battlestar Galactica, I'm going to be honest with you. I actually did start watching it recently, watched the first episode. 
maybe I'll continue it. You say it's great, so maybe I'll take Archmaster Rennie, I'll take your advice, and maybe I'll continue watching that. So much stuff to watch, though. Jeez, crazy. So Damon Lindelof has redeemed himself uh, with the perfect endings of The Leftovers and Watchmen. Okay. Uh, and, and again, I've watched the first episode of The Leftovers. I've heard that's amazing, though, and that could be a possibility for the After Dark podcast because it's three seasons. Of, yeah, so that could be a possibility. Neither of which uh, could possibly have been better. It's really impressive. Uh, one thing that Archmaster Rennie adds in here, this is why I put it in here, is, is said, what's really impressive to me is that Dark is... Is that although Freese and Odo ch- uh, change direction, they still manage to pull off a perfect ending, and I agree with that fully. Um, uh, the obviously there's questions unanswered, which we all know, but no show ever is going to ha- have every question answered. And to be honest with you, I think they that, that was planned. They've made the decision to have us be able to question things, read between the lines, and you know what? How cool would it be? Now <laughs> this is not going to happen, but I thought to myself, how cool would it be? If we got like one day, we got like a feature length film, like an added on feature length film where it like went into like the unknown and Agnes's relationship. Like if it was, if there was one thing, if there was one thing that I would want sort of a, an extra episode on, sort of a special on, it would be that. So when Agnes walked through the portal, where did she go? I've got my own theories. Now this is completely off, uh, Rennie, this is completely off your go, uh, your thing here, but I, I literally will spend a minute here and give you my theory and where Agnes went. I think I mentioned it before, not on Dark Discussions, but I'm not sure, maybe on one of my original question videos, but my own personal canon inside my head, now this is not based on anything, but my own personal canon inside my head is, I think it's pretty cool to, to, to think about this, that Agnes hadn't had Tronto yet in season one, when she went and picked him up from the orphanage, and she took, took him to Winden. I, I like the idea that, that Agnes actually hadn't had him yet, and whenever she was uh, hugging um, Celia, her mother, to like, go through the portal in season three, I like the idea that that's her going through to, and she knows she has to go through to the unknown and marry the unknown and uh, have his baby. And that's why it's sort of, she's, ne- she's not come back. Maybe even the unknown kills her, okay? Maybe even it's not consensual. Although I suppose they have to be, well, they don't have to be married, I suppose. I think she could just probably, she could, she could maybe have taken on the name Nielsen because they needed to be called Nielsen. Like, it could be one of those things. But anyway, I think it's cool. The idea is that she goes through, when she goes through that portal, she goes to the unknown and she doesn't come back again. And she has Tronta. He gets put into an orphanage. And then a younger Agnes goes and picks up Tronta. And, uh, sorry, an old, yeah, a younger Agnes who hasn't had him yet is the one who brings him to Vinden. And that's how she's able to leave him. Because she actually hasn't even bonded with him yet. That's not her son yet. She hasn't had him yet. Anyway, that's completely off the deep end theory. But that's that's what I, that's where I, that's I'm reading between the lines and making up stuff myself. But I thought that that's a pretty cool idea. Anyway, so um, Archmaster Rennie says that they went in a different direction. But the image that we see of Michael in season one with the black oil running down his face evidently came from the original plan. Um, I agree with that. Now, they put in the idea of Marta in season three with the oil running down her face too, but I think that was just to try and mix the symmetry of it and to make it seem like it tied in. I think Michael with the oil running down his face was going to be part of the original plan. Um, I think that it still does work because if you think of um, sort of images and uh, aberrations in in religious texts, uh, angels appearing to people and things like that, uh, so, and then obviously oil is a big, big thing in um, different types of oils, oil, oil, oil of chrism, oil of catechism. They're all big, big things in, in, in uh, the Christian faith. So 
I could see there being a tie-in to the religion aspect there in terms of seeing seeing a vision before you go on your journey. It works for me thematically, um, but I think the original plan, ready, would have been much bigger than that. So I think you're right there. Okay, connecting the dots says, this is probably the comment you don't want to read. This is about Lost. I, I felt Lost was just teasing narrative for teasing's sake. I felt the creator was riding the mystery wave as long as he could. Gratuitous mystery, so to speak. But I like mystery uh, with point and purpose. I kind of lost trust in the storytelling. Felt led on and dropped out somewhere halfway through. They lost me there. Now, connecting the dots, I said to you in the comments, but I'll repeat it for everyone here. I think we agree more, more than what you think, okay? Now, I really love Lost. Like, I love Lost. And, um, I, but I, I watched it when I was a teenager. And I still maintain that there is quality from start to end. Now, not it's not all quality, but there is there is quality to be found from start to end. That's my opinion. Um, I have unfortunately been in the position before where I've shown loss to a family member, um, my wife's brother, and we watched the whole thing together when he was 15. And when we finished the last episode and it ended, he burst out laughing. And, uh, which was hilarious. But, uh, so I've actually been in that position before where I've shown him the show. It was a big part of my upbringing, to be honest with you, a big part of my teenage years. I know the last few seasons aren't perfect. They're not. Uh, there's a lot of mysteries un undone. As Connecting the Dots says, there's a lot of gratuitous mystery. There is. They keep, they keep certain mysteries going for five seasons, then sort of explain it with a secondary line. Yeah, it wasn't perfectly done. But whenever my brother-in-law started laughing i was oh geez it it was it was funny but it also was like i like this show you know so i have a, p a personal thing with it but at the same time at the same time he started he started saying that was crazy this wasn't answered this wasn't answered this wasn't answered and you, as you can imagine from what i'm like on this channel every question he said wasn't answered i was able to answer it okay now just because i'm able to answer it and i, I was a huge fan doesn't mean they they portrayed that correctly like, I'll be the first to admit, they didn't portray certain mysteries correctly, even if they were explained. Do you know what I mean? So, 100% agree with you connecting the dots. They lost the ball somewhere. In my opinion, it's like a juggler. They were juggling balls towards the end of the season. Maybe they dropped the ball, but they were still juggling two, so that was still pretty cool. And then maybe they dropped one, and then they were, like, juggling one ball, which wasn't really cool, but maybe he picked up another one. Started. So, there was, like, it was up and down. So, the first three seasons were great, and then it was up and down for the rest. In my opinion. Uh, okay, last one. So, Kel Cowley says, add number 11 to your list. Lost and Dark both feature musical montages with a song playing as we get an overview of the ensemble. Especially in season one of Dark, yeah. No, season one of Lost. You're exactly right. And I don't know why I forgot about this, because you know what? That was one, like, uh, a song that I used to listen to on repeat was um, the one that goes... Uh, you got troubles, oh, not today. We're gonna wash away. We're gonna wash away. That one. It's so good. And that, that song uh, was in episode three of Dark. Uh, Dark. Episode three of Lost. And uh, it was Hurley listening to the thing and it was going around. Yeah, exactly. Cal Cowley. Exactly. So uh, that, that's number 11. That's officially number 11. That's Anthony James Cannon. I'm calling it now. All right, guys. Let's get into the final segment. From the first moments we meet Ulrich, we are compelled not to trust him. In fact, the very first scene in which we see him, he is cheating on his wife with a woman who he, in his own words, 
doesn't even love. So why then did he do it? Why did he cheat on his high school sweetheart, the mother of his children? Well, unfortunately for fans of Ulrich, the answer doesn't paint him in a very good light. The theme of temptation plays a huge role in the show. In particular, the characters born from the original sin of Jonas and Altmarta procreating and linking the worlds are portrayed with this constant temptation throughout the story. Well, all except for Mikkel, I suppose, which in itself is interesting, but I'll leave that for another video. This temptation that Ulrich feels and continually succumbs to is even present in his alternate self, who is having an affair with Charlotte after he has already presumably done the same with Hannah while still married to Katerina. Of course, there are some people who would lay the blame for everything solely at the feet of Hannah. Now don't get me wrong, Hannah has definitely done enough to deserve eternal damnation in her own right. I just feel that when it comes to her relationship with Ulrich, people sometimes feel that they need to take a side, and therefore opt to take the side of the man whose child goes missing, despite the fact that her son goes missing too. Anyway, this isn't a Hannah character study, but I'll just add one more point. Alternate Ulrich's behavior surely backs up my point that Ulrich is innately self-destructive as a result of his existence being a product of the original sin. So no matter what outside influences or distractions, Ulrich is to blame for most, if not all, of his sins. Well, actually, having said that, there is one terrible thing that Ulrich does, which is a topic of much debate amongst the fandom. That is the fact that he tried to murder Helga with a rock. And when I say tried to murder, I mean he murdered him. When he goes as far as waiting all night outside of the bunker to ensure the child that he beat is dead, I think we can skip the technicalities and call him a murderer. So what is contentious about this, you ask? The man is clearly a child murderer. Well, it's the context, of course. Ulrich knew that Helga would be involved in the murder of his brother, and he heavily suspected him of being involved in the disappearance of his son. Therefore, the grey of the argument exists in the form of this question. Is it okay to kill someone who you know will become a child murderer? Phrased like this, I'm sure there are a lot of people who would be sympathetic to Ulrich's cause, and I understand why, especially considering we see him grow into an old man, having served life for his crime. This older version of Ulrich manages to at times have us forget the horrendous act that he carried out. We find ourselves pulling for him and Mikkel to be reunited, despite everything that's taken place. When Hannah comes to see him in the prison in the 50s, there's also a part of us that wants him to be set free to go with her, despite the fact that he's serving time for a legitimate crime. Also, another side note, what were people expecting Hannah to do here? I know she comes across as cold, and I think she's intending to make a statement to him that she wants to leave him there, but one question. Even if she wanted to help, what could she have done? Not much in my estimation. Based on all of this, most people seem to default to taking Ulrich's side in the whole smacking the child in the temple with a rock thing. Now this might surprise you, but I don't really respect a man who tries to kill a child. Context or no context. Alright, alright, I can hear you yelling at me. What would you do if it was your child that was taken? Well, first of all, I can't think of anything more terrifying, and to be honest, just thinking about it sends a shock of entropy up my spine. However, believe it or not, I would like to think that I wouldn't do the same thing. And luckily, I think Dark helps me explain why. It all comes down to cycles. 
something which is featured heavily in the show. Now I'm not talking about the highfalutin time travel-y stuff. I'm talking about the cycles of abuse which the show portrays. By trying to kill Helga, Ulrich is ensuring that the cycle of abuse continues. The grief and worry and heartbreak that Ulrich felt when Mikkel was taken was given to Bernd and Greta through his actions. Helga was missing in the same way Mikkel was, through doing what he thought was right, i.e. stopping a murderer from becoming a murderer, he inadvertently passed his nightmare situation to someone else. It must also be stated that Ulrich literally becomes the thing he's trying to prevent. And I don't mean Helga. Helga was a low-achieving child who was indoctrinated into killing children on behalf of Noah. So Helga was a victim in all of this no matter what way you look at it. It would be more fitting to say that the person who inflicts the pain on Ulrich and the person Ulrich ultimately becomes is Noah. Noah too had a child taken from him and he felt that he needed to do things in order to get that child back, i.e. killing children. Add in the fact that Noah was indoctrinated from a young age also like Helga and the discussion becomes even more difficult indeed. Both Noah and Ulrich had the choice to end the cycle of abuse or continue it and both of them chose to continue it, subconsciously or not. And just to complicate the conversation even more, the show gives us examples of characters who literally chose to end a cycle of abuse. I am of course talking about Jonas and Katarina. Jonas displays multiple times that he's willing to sacrifice himself to end the suffering of others. And Katarina comes from a family wrought with abuse, and she manages to be nothing but a loving mother. Well, before her life is turned up by losing a child. This is all to say that Ulrich decided to inflict physical pain on Helga and emotional pain on his family in order to save his son. Which is one thing that's worthy of debate. On the other hand, what is not up for debate is that Ulrich showed no remorse for his actions. He never accepts that he deserves to serve time for trying to murder a child, and constantly lays the blame on others, namely Egon and Hannah. To summarize, I think Ulrich is a brilliant character who perfectly encapsulates the messed up nature of the knot that the show is going for. He is self-destructive and selfish, and you know what? The cheating, beating, tragic man was really fun to watch. Alright, well there you go. There's my thoughts. Controversial or not, let me know what you think. I will just say, on re in retrospect, if I was sitting next to a little kid who I knew was going to turn into a murderer, and he said the birds were beautiful when they're dead, I'd probably grab the nearest rock next to me, if I'm honest with you. If I'm honest with you. Alright guys, thanks very much for watching. Just a reminder, the uh, poll is on at HeyAnthonyJames on Twitter, Parallels to Westworld, Ranking Season 1 Characters, and 80s Talk with Conrad. They're the three options. Make sure you subscribe to podcasting apps, subscribe on YouTube, give the video a like. That would really help me. And thanks very much, guys. I rambled a lot in that middle section. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Let me know in the comments if you didn't. All right, guys. See you later.